so good to be with you. Isn't it just great to come together to like this and to worship this morning and to sing songs with each other and to one another to remind ourselves of the truth of, uh, of the good news of Christ? Isn't this great? I just was blessed by that this morning. And I want to say, um, can we give, I, I know Brother Dave had done this a while back, but can we do this again for the people who come early? And set up, not only the people who come early and set up, but the people who come even earlier than that to help work and practice on the songs and singing. Uh, everybody, not just the ones today, but all of them that do that. Um, and like week after week after week do that. Can we give them thanks right now? Just get a huge thanks. Yeah. That's just just fantastic. I just really appreciate that very much. Okay. Uh, I invite you to turn with me to um, the letter to the Corinthians. First, the first letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians, cha- uh, Corinthians 1, chapter 12. Hold your finger there. For those uh, who have been with us through uh, this whole series, you know where we're at right now. We're, we're talking about family time. For those of you who are new, we're, we're in a series called Family Time. And we're talking about some, some family issues. We're talking about the church, the nature of the church, how it's set up, how it's organized. Um, if it sounds like I'm talking a little bit fast, it's because um, my wife asked me, she goes, how's the sermon going? I go, I think it's going really well. It could be like an hour. And so, uh, so she's like, you better not do that. So we're gonna, I'm going to go really quickly here. So um, we're going to go through a lot of stuff. Um, and so we're in a series on family times. Family time and looking at the church, how it's set up, how it's structured, and uh, kind of getting a, a, an idea of where does it, where we need to go. These are some big moments for us as Redeemer. And so two weeks ago, we looked at elders, elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers. Those are all different terms to describe the one role. They're the ones who teach and uh, kind of oversee the church. They teach the, the doctrine, they preach, and they do those kind of things. Last week, we saw the role of deacon, these kind of official appointees in the church who are uh, tasked with overseeing the, uh, uh, or making sure all of the, the details, the, the details of uh, the church life are met, like needs in the congregation are met, um, logistical needs, material needs, helping the poor, those kinds of things. And so that's, a, we saw the role of deacons last week, and we want to round that off now this week by looking at members and membership members and membership what does it mean to be a member of the church what does it mean to be a member of the local church and so um we saw a couple of metaphors in our first week so there's a elders deacons and members and in the first week i talked about a couple of metaphors for the church right um the church as like the temple of god the dwelling place of god's spirit we saw it as uh, a flock, shepherd the flock of God was the charge to the elders. So uh, the church is like a flock of sheep. That's another one of the metaphors. Another metaphor is one of family, uh, the family of God. So all of those convey different aspects or different relationships in the church. That's why there's lots of different metaphors that are used, pictures, right? So, for example, the temple is the relationship, is a kind of a picture of the relationship with God and his people and the rest of the world. The temple was the dwelling place back in the Old Testament. God had told the people of Israel to build a, a tabernacle, and then later it became a temple. 
I get jokes, I get teased all the time. I say I think that I fit the word tabernacle in almost every sermon. So that there's, there's my tabernacle for this for this sermon. Uh, the tabernacle is the dwelling place of God's spirit, where God would meet with his people, and then that was kind of a um, a visual representation of God's presence in the world. And so what Paul and you, the New Testament talks about the temple of the living God is saying, you're the visible presence. You're a demonstration of the, the gospel, the good news of God in the world. Um, we saw the flock, right? So this is kind of the relationship between kind of the, the shepherds of the church, like elders, pastor, overseer that we saw, and the people. It's one of feeding. It's one of caring. It's one of protecting, protecting against the wolves and all of the dangers, and to care for the sheep. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that is so that, um, that the sheep could be offer themselves as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him. We saw it as a family, and that relays the connection, the interconnectivity of one another. We should love one another as a family. So all of those pictures, well, today we're going to be looking at one other metaphor, and that's the metaphor of the body, the body, a physical human body. Here, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 3, kind of pointing out some of these different aspects of the church all in two verses. That God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the, what? Body of Christ. The church is pictured as the body of Christ. So we're going to unpack this metaphor this morning, and then we're going to look at uh, what that what's involved in that. The church is the body of Christ. Um, so we're going to look at what membership is in relationship to that metaphor of body of Christ. So what is membership? What does it mean to be a member of a church? Let me start by saying what membership is not. Okay? Membership is not to be viewed in the way that we have memberships today. Right? Um, and of course, when I say membership, the first thing that comes to my mind is what? Costco, thank you. You read my mind. Good job. Costco. Who has a Costco membership? Right? Okay. And so what does it mean to be a Costco member? You know, I contribute something, but what do I get? I get privileges. I get access to something that nobody else get access to, right? Like two gallon jars of pickles. You know? <laughs> you know, not everybody should be allowed to do that. Only some people should be allowed to buy two gallon jars of pickles. And those are Costco memberships. And I'm a gold member. So I, I'm a gold Costco member. Um, so that means I get privileges. I get responsibility. I get access to things that, that some people don't. Okay? We think of that as membership. Maybe membership, it could also be seen as in like a country club membership. Every year I go to California and I go visit, uh, well, not every year, but often I go to California to visit my family. And my uncle is a huge golfer and he has a country club membership. And I get to go as a guest with him sometimes, which means we get to play on a golf course that not everybody can play. It's, this, is, this is unique privileges. I get, I get access to stuff. I, I get, uh, things are done for me that are not done for other people. I, I want to put forward to you this morning, right up at the front, um, membership in terms of church, in terms of what the Bible talks about membership, shouldn't be uh, thought of in those kind of ideas. 
It's not a, a, a club that I belong to that is, where things are done for me, for my benefit. Membership, and, uh, uh, membership is uh, something different than that. And member and membership, I, I've had conversations with people before that say, I'm just not sure I buy into this whole idea of church having members. And I would say, and these are people who are Christians and believe the Bible, and I would say, um, you're, you're missing one of the words that's used dozens and dozens of times to actually describe a person and a, a, as a part of the church. And we're going to get into that. So membership is not being a part of this club where things are done for me. Membership is, must be seen in this metaphor of body of Christ. Okay, you with me? Okay, let's look at, let's look at uh, uh, some of the terms. We'll kind of unpack this here. The terms for member and membership. Using this metaphor of body. The, the word for body is soma. Let me hear you say soma. Soma. It's a Greek word for body. And then melos is the word for member. Let me hear you say melos. Melos, okay. So soma, body, melos is member or part. Now, this is, could be used, like we, we saw with many of our terms in this series so far, this could be used in a literal sense, right? Soma is a literal human body. And melos are the parts of the body. The great example of this is in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. Where he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, this is the word, melas, than that your whole soma be thrown into hell. What Jesus is saying here is the seriousness of sin is a violation from, with God. And he's saying, he's not being literal here in saying, you actually should start to dismember yourselves. What he's saying is, this is how serious this is. It would be better. It would be better that this would happen. His suggestion is, um, uh, obviously, to d demonstrate the seriousness of sin. He continues, verse 30. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. Right hand, excuse me. Your right hand causes you to sin. Cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members, melos, then for your whole body to go into hell, right? So here's the literal, he's, he's, he's talking about soma as an actual human body and the parts could be a hand, could be an eye, could be ears, could be feet, could be things like that. Those are all the melos of a body. But we're going to look at it in the metaphorical sense today or the figurative or metaphorical sense in the relationship of the body of Christ. Paul wants us to picture the body of Christ as the church and all of us as its members. As he writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For as in one body, we have many members, right? And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another. So to this morning, we're going to look at member and membership as a member, a part of the body of Christ. And so this is what brings us to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 2. And we're going to look at a couple of, we'll break down this, uh, this passage, and then we're going to get to the, the implications of this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body, there's the word, so every time you see the word soma, or you see the word body, think of body, soma, okay? And every time you see the word member or part, see some translations have parts, some have members. The ESV has members, um, but your, your translation, if you're reading in a different translation, might say part, Okay? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. So he's laying out here now the principle. The principle at the very outset of this passage. And it goes something like this. There's a unity and a diversity of the members. There's one body of Christ. And they're unified. They're all together. So there's a unity of the body, but there's a diversity in its members. Paul continues with... uh, Now, what he does here, now he starts to address the different persons in the church. You'll see the, the... You'll see this connection of the members. He's speaking to them as members of the body. He's talking to the different individuals in the church. And it seems as though there's kind of like a, 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 a gathering or a, a bonding together of two different groups here. And we'll show you. The first group is the, the self-pitying groups or the self-pity parts. The self-pity parts. We see this in verse 15 through 20. If the foot should say, okay, so he's... Here's a a foot. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. See the self-pity? Well, I'm just a foot. I don't don't really belong to the the body. Paul says, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 16. And if an ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. You see the self-pity here? One of the parts looking at other parts, looking at themselves and pitying themselves because they're not like another part. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If you have your Bible, underline that that sentence, those phrases there. We look at a body, we look at all of these different and distinct parts, and sometimes we think, uh, you know, as a church, how can we get all of these parts together? You know, let's, this, that verse 18 there says something really profound. God didn't just create the body, he created the parts. And he intentionally arranged the parts exactly as he wanted to according to his will. Eyes, ears, all of that. I'm not talking just the physical body. I'm talking about the church body as well, too. If all were a single member, verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So there's a message to the uh, self-pitying parts, okay? 
the self, all of these different parts of the body that look and they see that there's difference. There's a difference between these kind of people and what they are skilled to do and what, what they have a capacity to do. And that's just different than they look at themselves as that's just different than what I can contribute. And so I, therefore, I can't really contribute anything because those are the people who really contribute something. And so these, uh, these, uh, all of those people get together and they have a self-pitying parts party, right? You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to. No, Paul says, no, absolutely not. No self-pitying part parties, okay? The message is, you are indispensable. God arranged you for this purpose. You are indispensable. God arranged you for this purpose. Now, what Paul is arguing for here, Paul's doing something really clever. Just want to do a little side note on this. Um, Paul is referencing some Roman philosophers. He's, he's not inventing a new argument here. Um, there were Roman philosophers and rhetoricians and like kind of political um, oh, think tank people. You know, like they had already kind of put forward this idea as a, a, in public society and kind of like the political realm to encourage the lower classes that they really can contribute to the upper classes. Right, So they were trying to, to, to issue this in such a way, they were arguing this in such a way, so that the lower classes of society really have a role in society. And so Paul is building on that. Now Corinth, being you know, not very far from Athens, Corinth had uh, philosophers, they had, uh, it, it was a hub of political activity, it was a hub of uh, Greek philosophy, it was a major city, and so Paul is writing to them, and so he's using some kind of language here that they'd be familiar with. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? There was an argument to show that the lower classes contribute, but Paul doesn't stop there. As a matter of fact, let's say this, God doesn't stop there. He flips this around. He adds a different element to this, which I think is really cool. He actually changes directions, because they would argue, see, the, you, those, your lower classes you know, here, you need to see yourselves as all part of the body and you contribute, right? Paul Goodow goes and flips the, flips the script a little bit on them. Look at what he says. Now he starts to address the self-sufficient parts, okay? The self-pitying parts were the first, uh, were verses 15 through 20. Now he does the self-sufficient parts, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, see now you have another person, another body, body part saying something, Except this time he's not saying, oh, I don't belong. Look what he says. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See? Self-sufficient. Oh, I? The only only thing that's important is seeing. Or the head to the feet, the only thing that's important is to be a head. Like, I don't know. I mean, I just... I see that and I immediately think of like a Monty Python scene with the Black Knight. Like, you know, he's losing all of his members and he's like, uh, maybe that's a, there's a, okay. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? So he's like, I, you know, I can bite your kneecaps off. No, you can't do anything. You don't have arms. You don't have, you're losing members. I lost some of you, didn't I? With the whole Monty Python thing. So the self-sufficient parts, he says, no, 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 no. Look at what he says, uh, he, he continues on. On the contrary, verse 22, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're actually indispensable. 
And on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow, bestow greater honor. And the unpresentable parts, we treat with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. I mean, this is fascinating what Paul is, what Paul is doing here. He's showing how everybody in the church are all interconnected. We all are part of this one body. And that this is directed by God himself. Look at verse 20, uh, the, the rest of verse 24. But God has so composed the body. He's hearkening back to God creating the first human body, the, creating Adam, fashioning him, it says, fashioning him. So God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And this part here, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. A couple weeks ago, I had a, 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 a broken tooth. I had to have a crown put on that tooth. And he goes, by the way, the filling is looking really bad and then the tooth next to it. So they, they had to grind out all of that filling and then put new filling in, right? How many of you have had a crown? Okay, great. Um, and you're thinking, it's just this tooth thing. I, my whole body felt horrible. after. I mean, you, when your mouth, this little section of your mouth is in pain, it affects the rest of your body, does it not? Right? Every summer, um, my feet get, sorry if this grosses you out, but my feet kind of get cracked. You know, on the heels, you know, from wearing flip-flops or whatever. And uh, when they get a crack on it, it hurts so bad to walk on them. And so I get this crack, little tiny crack on my foot, and I walk around and I go, oh, man, that hurts. And then so I kind of change my walk a little bit to avoid it. And the next day, my ankle hurts. And then I keep going. And the next day, my knee hurts. And then I get out of bed the following day, and I'm like, my back hurts. Why does my back hurt? Because that one little crack. The, the, if one member suffers, they all suffer together. We've all experienced this, right? Yeah? Okay. And Paul says this, this applies not just to human bodies, this applies to the church as well, too. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So the self-pitying parts, the message was you are indispensable. God arranged you for his purpose. The message to the self-sufficient parts is they are indispensable. All are indispensable. God arranged all of them for this purpose. All of us for this purpose, right? One body. Many different members. Every single member has, has role, has um, value, dignity, worth, and purpose to the body. And so he concludes it in verse 27, where he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Just like we read from Romans earlier. And actually, keep reading verses 28 down a little bit. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, or healing, helping, administration in various kinds of tongues. And then he asks these questions Are all apostles? The answer is no. Uh, are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? So he's saying, No, 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 no. You, no. They're. You, you don't all have to have the same gifts, the same abilities to contribute to the body. And no matter what those gifts or abilities or talents or usefulness or whatever is, you contribute to the body. 
Understanding the body of Christ and its members, the Christians, this is vital to understanding what membership is. Let me go back a couple slides here. Uh, as the body is to its members, so the church of Christ is to its individual members, uh, individual believers. As the body is to its members, so the church of Christ is to its individual believers. To be a member of the church is to be a part of the body of Christ. To be a member is to join together with the other diverse parts to make a unified whole. Amen? Amen. So we're going to look at now, and now we've kind of established this principle here. We know this is what the scriptures teach. Every single, uh, every single believer is part of the church, and they become a member of a church because they're, they're, they're becoming a part of the whole. And the church has, um, and the members of a church have lots of different responsibilities. We saw uh, in the first week the responsibility of the uh, elder, overseer, pastor. That is shepherding the flock, caring for the sheep, um, preaching, teaching. Though, as we saw in Acts chapter 6, it would not be right for us to wait on tables. Uh, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word and prayer in order to wait on tables. And remember, he says, so don't wait on tables because that's not important. No, he says, no, we need to have people who can do that so that none of the parts of the body are neglecting one another. So that's the responsibility of pastor elders. We saw the responsibility of deacons as well, too. The servants of the church, making sure the logistical needs are met. That, that people's needs are met. That people are cared for. But now I want to look at some of the duties and the responsibilities of the members. The whole church. Okay? And I'm going to run through, I don't know, maybe six, six or seven of these. We'll see how much time we have. Or until Janet flags me down. All right? We're going to go through a lot of scripture passages, too. You don't have to turn to these, but you may want to write them down. I will have them on the slides. One of the responsibilities of all the members of the church is gently correcting and restoring those who are in error. Let me tell you what I mean. James ends his letter, the last two verses of James's letter, he says this, my brothers, if anyone among you, anyone among, so he says brothers, this is referring to the believers in the church now. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone, it's, the word is any someone, any someone in the church brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James doesn't say, okay, brothers, uh, if anyone among you wanders from the church, make sure you go to the elders so that you can sick the elders on the people so they can bring them back. No, he says, anyone. We all together are to, to be watching, not just for our own selves, we are to watching other members as well, too. Anyone can have this responsibility of helping to correct and to encourage and to build one another up in Christ. And to restoring those who are in error. You with me? Okay. That's not, not just the elder's job or a deacon's job or a committee's job. That's all of our jobs. Number two, the members are responsible for guarding their life, doctrine, and the gospel. Galatians chapter 1. 
one of Paul's earliest writings. He's writing to a church uh, that, uh, or to a group of churches that he planted when he went and preached the gospel there in kind of southern uh, Asia Minor, Turkey area. And he writes back, he says this, I am astonished that you, plural, you, plural, are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Paul writes to the entire to all of the believers in Galatia, and he says, uh, "There's a different gospel going around in your church, and uh, I'm going to hold the elders responsible." No, he he says, "No, actually, um, everyone is responsible for guarding the gospel, making sure that the gospel is taught." Now, I received this question. Somebody asked me. I had said something in the first. Uh, the first week of this series, that I said that elders and pastors are held to a higher standard. James writes, uh, teachers will be judged more strictly, right? And so the question to ask, well, aren't we all responsible? Um, or are elders, pastors, and overseers held more responsible? I would say, yes, we are all responsible. And I would say, yes, also, that elders, pastors, and overseers are more responsible as shepherds of the church. If you don't believe me, look at Ezekiel chapter 34. The Priests and the teachers of Israel in that day, uh, God refers to him in this metaphor as shepherd. And let's just look at it, actually. Let's just do this. Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going off script. Ezekiel chapter 34. Where God says through Ezekiel, regarding the shepherds, notice the shepherds of Israel. This would be the priests, the high priests, um, Those who were responsible for teaching the law, teaching God's teaching to the people. Verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, came to Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak ones you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, the sheep were scattered. Why? Because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. The sheep that God loves, his people of Israel, were being devoured. My sheep were scattered. They all they wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And he goes on to give some criticisms for the leaders of Israel. They are held more responsible. By the way, this is the passage. You remember Jesus looking out at the crowds that were gathering around him when he was teaching. And it says, Matthew says, And Jesus uh, looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. The Greek word splanknon, it means intestines. He had had gut-wrenching compassion on the people of Israel. Why? 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew's hearkening back to God's word to Ezekiel in 34. I love that passage because that speaks not only of the compassion of Jesus for people, for his sheep, that they would not be wandering around and lost and be devoured, that they would come and they would be protected under the shepherd, the chief shepherd. Not only does it display his compassion, that displays also a judgment on those who don't teach the truth. There's dual meaning in that, that verse. So are elders, pastors, and teachers more responsible? Yes, but everybody is responsible. We're all to be equipped to do this. The Galatians, the Galatians were saying, every one of you were responsible to be able to recognize this error, this other gospel, and there is no other gospel. That's two. The members are responsible for guarding the life and doctrine of the church. Number three, resolving disputes between Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, again, uh, again in Corinthians, again in, uh, boy, Corinth was a mess. <laughs> the church at Corinth was a disaster. Um, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to trial trivial cases? So what is happening here in the church is that uh, one, of the, one of the members of the church, one of the Christians in the church at Corinth, um, had defrauded something. We don't know what happened with another person in the church, and they couldn't reconcile this whole thing, so they took it to the public law courts. And Paul says, wait a second, I hear that that's happening. You guys, you're brothers in Christ, right? You need to figure that thing out. Look at what he says. Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame, but can it be that there is no one among you wise enough? No one? Any individual in the church wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But bro brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. So the church, the members of the church are responsible for, for reconciling or resolving disputes between Christians. Jesus says uh, something very similar to this, Matthew chapter 18. If your brother, again, a Christian, a believer, sins against you, another brother or believer in the church, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay, step one. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along. That every charge may be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is step two. He's drawing this from Deuteronomy. If he refuses to listen to them, I mean, so this is getting, this is moving on to the next phase and the next phase. What does Jesus say? Tell it to the, is it up there? Tell it to the, the church, right? And what is the church to do? If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Verse 18, truly I say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's lots of different kind of ways of reading that, but if you look at this together with what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's like, you guys have the authority to do this. When Christ comes back, those who are saints, they're going to judge the world. You can't even now figure out how to resolve some things in the church, and that this is the church's responsibility. You with me? How many of you of this is new? No? Okay, good. Well, let's move on. Uh, number four. 
What are the duties and responsibility of the members? Administering church discipline and removal by wayward members, uh, of wayward mem- members. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, just a chapter earlier than, than what, he, what he just said in, in uh, chapter 6. Um, and this one, again, Corinth was, had some problems. It is actually reported that there is sexuality, sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you're arrogant. They were boasting about this. This is no big deal in the church. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit and as if and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. And then notice this in verse four. When you, plural, are assembled, that's a, a kind of a plural, it's a participle, it's a plural verb. Okay? When you, plural, are assembled, plural, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and in my spirit is present with the power of uh, our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The church is to get together. And if this, some, this grievous kind of sins uh, is threatening to tear apart the church, the, the entire church does something about it. Not one group, not a committee. We all, we, we all have something to say about it here. The whole church is involved. Number five. Was that number? What happened to my number five? I missed number five. Okay, here's number five. I don't have a slide. Write this down. Admitting and welcoming and readmitting and reaffirming members into the church. Okay, number four was administering church discipline. And removal, but number five, it also involves the admitting and welcoming and readmitting and reaffirming members into the church. So all of the church has a responsibility to affirm the members in the church. Second Corinthians chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter two, and you may need to turn there because I don't have the slide, sorry. Verses five through eight. Now, if any let me back up, get a little context here. Paul has planted the church in Corinth. He had stayed there for a year and a half. It was one of his longest places he'd stayed. Not the longest, but one of. Um, And somebody, an individual in the church, after Paul had left, was leading a rebellion against Paul. We don't know a lot of the details. We kind of glean that from different sections of his writing. Okay? And Paul wrote a very severe yet tearful letter. He was very heartbroken that somebody was coming in and was rebelling against Paul and was leading the church astray. The church... uh, as a result of Paul's letter, then address that issue with this person. And then they, uh, they ended up setting the, this person out from the church. They, they condemned his behavior and of the man who caused all of this trouble in the church. And they did church discipline against him. Now, okay, watch, uh, watch what happens here. So that sets this up so you understand the context of what's happening here. Now, if anyone has caused pain, particularly this one who rebelled against Paul. He has caused it not to me. Well, he did, Paul. He did cause it to you. But Paul says, no, 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 not not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. What he did affected the whole church. This isn't a personal matter between he and me. What he did was, was undermining the entire church. 
says to all of you is what he did. For such a one, this punishment, so they've already kind of did the church discipline, this punishment by the majority is enough. Okay? So it was brought before the whole church. The whole church had gotten together and they decided, and apparently majority, we don't know, was it 51%, 90, 95%, we don't know. But the church said collectively, said something needs to be done here. We need to remove this person from the church. That's not the elders. It's not the deacons. It's not a committee. It's not a council. That's all. All are responsible. And that's what happens here. But notice what Paul says. So that, that kind of connects with the previous point, point four. But notice what he says here next, the next phase. Verse seven. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. The whole church was to be involved in this matter of discipline, but the whole church was to be involved in the matter of the restoration of a person as well, too. Apparently, this person has repented. They've come to the church and they said, okay, what I did was wrong. Uh, can I be readmitted to fellowship? And it looks like, from reading this, that the church said, no, hold on a second here. I don't trust you, you little, you little rascal. Right, right? They said... And apparently they did because Paul now had to write back to them and say, wait a second. <laughs> wait. If he comes back and he's, he's repenting and he wants to be restored with Christ in the church, he wants to be brought back in. He gives them things. He goes, forgive. Comfort. Reaffirm your love for him. Amen. Isn't that, I mean, this is what this is what the church is to do. Sometimes we make, uh, a lot of churches make an error in that they don't address some of the severe issues. So discipline never happens, but maybe, but, but if you don't have discipline, you don't have restoring of people, restoration of people, reaffirming of people, right? Paul is always bringing the gospel into every situation. He says, no, this isn't a matter against me. Forget, you know what? Restore, forgive, comfort. The very guy who told them that you needed to do something about this, and they did it, and then when the guy comes back, they didn't want to do anything, and Paul says, no, no, you need to do something about that. You need to bring him back. Amen? So this is a whole church matter of readmission. Now, the, the subtext to all of this if he was telling them, no, this is your job to readmit those, the wayward ones in the church, to bring them back in, doesn't that assume, it assumes that the entire church was responsible. If the entire church was responsible for that, the entire church was responsible for affirming new persons who come into a church. So when we have people that come and want to say, I want to be a member of this church, um, we bring that to everybody, right? That's what we do as members. We all would have a say. We say, we affirm, we welcome you in. We all do this together. You're not some individual person that's over there. We do this together. I think you got what I'm saying. Other responsibilities, and I'm running out of time here. But like nominating and affirming uh, deacons, we saw this in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Um, the apostles came to the full number of disciples. He came to the whole church and to resolve this problem that was happening. And he says... Uh, so the apostles kind of created this office of these seven. And then he says, actually, okay, find for us seven. 
You tell us. Tell us the names. This is We're working in this together. Okay? But then they brought the names, and then the apostles did the appointing, and they commissioned them out. So um, affirming, we got, you get the idea. Let me see. We'll, we'll put it this way. As members of one body, we are called together to glorify God, to love one another as a church, to serve one another, to honor one another, to submit to one another, to consider how we might spur one another on to love and to good deeds, to build up the body of Christ, to bear each other's burdens. This is what a church does. We gather together, we worship and pray together, we confess our sins to one another, we sing to one another. We share the Lord's table and we all are making disciples together by testifying to the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. So a member does not merely come to a church to receive. It's not Costco. You don't get your spiritual two-gallon jar pickles. There's more involved. It's not to have things done for them. And I think too many people, first and foremost, look at a church, maybe intentionally, unintentionally, I don't know, but they look at it as a consumer, as customer, right? Do they have programs for me? Do they offer time, offer them at times and places that are convenient for me? Do they um, play energizing music that I like? Do they have the programs for my kids? What they're steadily saying to to prospective churches is this. This is something I wrote this week, so I'm just going to read it. Feed me, counsel me, be open during hours that work for me, meet my needs, meet the, 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 make the seating comfortable for me, make the decor and environment aesthetically pleasing to me, make social connections for me, provide opportunities to serve that make me feel good, that makes me feel like I'm doing something, but not too much, because it can't be too much for me to do. They look for the church to do lots and lots of things for them and expect little from them. That is not a church. That's a spiritual sideshow. That's not a church. That's not the body, the body of Christ with its members. Brothers and sisters, let's be the body of Christ and all of us members individually of it. That is what the members of the body are to do, contribute to the church, to the church's health, to the church's life, to the church's ministries, and to the church's mission. That's what a member does because that's what a member is, a part of the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's be that body of Christ. By way of update... We are moving to kind of formalize our membership process. Heretofore, we've not had it. But we're doing that now. And so in the coming weeks, you're going to get more information about this process. There, there might be like an application that you'd fill out. Um, we're going to try to, we're trying to standardize this for in the future. So as we grow, as more people uh, come to hear uh, interactions from you or are invited to the church, and more people come and uh, receive Christ and they want to get folded into a church, uh, we want to have this process in place to to bring people into the church. And so we'll have uh, like an application form. We, we will try to do interviews with a uh, pastor, elder of the church, with the prospective person. It's going to be involving affirming our statement of faith um, and our uh, church membership covenant. We're going to make a covenant with one another. 
as well, too. As a matter of fact, I've drafted a covenant, a sample covenant. This is not final yet, so this is not the final draft. Um, but I think it captures the essence of what we want to do. So I'm going to leave this here up at the front. I would love for you to read this. We're going to give you more information, and we would like to have our formal uh, membership covenant affirmation Sunday on April 27th. So we're going to be communicating what's this whole process, and uh, and then we'll be submitting applications, and then people will you submit your applications back so that we can formalize this as this is what we believe, this is who we are, this is what we are promising one to another. Amen? Amen. So you're welcome to come and take these as a sample, and we might be sending uh, these out as well too in um, the future. With that... Let's let's stand. Let's stand together. As one body in Christ. Let's let's pray together. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you arranged every one of us in this church as a member exactly as you wanted. According to your will, God, we are grateful that you have um, you've made all of us different, but that you've brought us in together as a unified whole. This is not a mistake. This is your plan. And God, we give you thanks for that. For those of us who might gravitate toward the self-pitying parts, God, remind us over and over again, God, remind us that we are we are valuable contributors to the church and that you have made us that way. And for those of us who would gravitate toward um, the self-sufficient parts, God, remind us over and over that no part by itself makes a church, makes a body. No person, no gift, no anything by itself makes a church. All of us working together for one goal, to bring glory to you by joining your mission to make disciples of Christ. God, we ask that you knit all of us together by your spirit and that as we, in the coming weeks, explore the ways in which um, that we can covenant to one another, uh, God, help us to dig into your word to find out um, more of what it means to be a member of your body, the body of your son, Jesus God, thank you for your word and for teaching us today. Thank you for your gospel, your good news for us. There is no other gospel but the one gospel that we cling to and believe in Christ. We thank you and give you praise and thanks. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people say, Amen and Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go.